The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Two Millennials, One Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Richmond. And I'm Ethan Gable. Today's episode, we're talking music. Before we get started, just want to keep encouraging you guys to share this and keep it going. Give us likes. We're on every podcast platform. Yes, we are. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, you name it, we're probably on it. We appreciate all the feedback we've gotten so far. Keep checking us out, guys. I don't know about you, Abby, but music is a huge part of my existence. I don't think I could do a lot of this stuff in my life without music. I feel like it's just a really integral part of Abby Richmond. I a thousand percent agree with that. And great word choice there with integral. Mm. Before we dive into personal music tastes, uh, let's talk about music and our generation. There's actually a lot of research that has been done about millennials' music habits, and it's rather entertaining. So I'm going to read you some uh, information that I found and see how you feel about it. Uh, The first thing I found is the Digital Music News released a study or reported on a study, rather, that was conducted that found that millennials listen to 75.1% more music on a daily basis than the baby boomer generation. Whoa. Yeah, so what that amounts to is essentially about 3.1 hours per day per millennial. Do you feel, as a, a young millennial, that you listen to about three hours of music? Are you more? Are you less? Are you in that range? Um, I feel like recently it's probably been less just because I've been so busy, like, actually doing stuff that requires me to be paying attention and not with headphones in or something. So recently less, but totally I can see three hours being accurate. And I agree. We are definitely the generation where music is always on in the background. We have our headphones in. That plays into the whole we're antisocial in general because we always have our headphones in. But I mean, that's the consequences. We are listening to more music, more so than the previous generations. Some other interesting notes about music in the millennial generation. We are the most likely generation to stream music, which I think makes total sense, obviously, as we grew up with technology and the previous generations didn't have a chance to grow up with streaming. But we are by far the the most likely to do so. In fact, 72% of Spotify users are millennials. So the previous generations, the baby boomers, Generation X, anyone before us, they haven't quite taken to streaming the way we have. Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about Spotify on this podcast all the time. I used to be a big Pandora user. My mom's actually the person that showed me Pandora. She kind of like knew about it before it was cool kind of situation because she works with technology and web designing. And so she found out about it and put me on Pandora. I stream a lot of my music. I don't really download anything anymore. I don't buy CDs unless it's like I bought the Ed Sheeran album when it first came out just because like I want to support his music and have like a physical copy of something. So sure. Was that the most recent CD you've purchased physical? Yeah, I think so. When Hastings was going out of business, I went and bought a good stack. I probably bought 20 CDs just because they were like 75 cents. Right. What about you? The last CD I bought? Yeah. Taylor Swift, Reputation. I had to have the hard copy. Ah. Classic, right? Classic. (laughs) That being said, you bring up an interesting point. Also in the research I did, millennials have a big hand in killing everything, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, but we are hurting the record industry. And we weren't the first ones to do this. Obviously, since the advent of MP3s, the number of albums 
purchased per year, physical copies have been declining, and that's used to be where the music industry made their money. So that's why everything is kind of transitioned to emphasis on touring and concerts, because they don't make as much money when we stream or when we illegally download the music or someone posts a lyric video on YouTube and we hit that 50 million times. Like, the artist isn't making money from their music necessarily anymore, so that's why performances um, and concerts are the big draw, and all these summer festivals and Coachella and all of these things, that's where the money's at. The good news, I guess, for the music industry is while we are the least likely to purchase a physical album, we are the most likely generation to attend a concert, so the artist is getting our money no matter what. I feel like kind of bad for the artists because we do all those things now that I think about it. When I'm downloading stuff, I'm not like, oh, no, I'm I'm not paying them. I just kind of think about, like, I don't want to spend any money. I feel like they don't necessarily need all of that money that they're getting because all they're doing is singing. <laughs> Brain surgeons probably need more money than they do kind of situation, but I don't know. That brings up a huge debate, though. The artist is going to say that they deserve the money. That's their product. That's their job. Whereas, like you said earlier... You bought Ed Sheeran's album because you wanted to support him, but you'll go download someone else's music because you're like, eh, they have plenty of money. It's an interesting ethical debate. Not the point of this podcast today, but something to talk about. (laughs) I think that they need money to live because it's their job, but like, where do you put the cutoff of, okay, now you're just making excess. So do you think you engage in ethical decision making where Migos drops an album and they're rolling in fat stacks and Bentleys? You're like, eh, I'll download that. They have plenty. But if Slaughter Beach Dog releases something, you're more likely to buy that to support them. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I bought a button from American Basswood, you know, the boys that live here. Yeah. Yeah, I bought a button from them, and I don't even know what I did with it. But I was just like, no one knows about them, so I'm sure this $2 will help them do something. So you're more about supporting local music, and you feel that your investment in that kind of outfit has a larger effect than paying 99 cents on iTunes for the new, I don't know, Katy Perry track. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of American Basswood, one of these days, I think they're going to physically release their new album, and my face is on the front of it, so that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so of course you know them. Also, another kind of local band, Talk Fahrenheit, they have a concert on the 20th at uh, the old Aquadome. Don't miss that. There we go. One other thing I found before we get into artists that we respect. Our generation has been deemed post-genre. And when I read this, I was like, oh yeah, we totally have. Music has blended together. And like I said, we experience this all the time. There'll be some alternative track that you think you know, and then all of a sudden it's on the popular radio station. Mm-hmm. Or this more like underground gangster rap is now what we consider popular. Or country artist and another rapper get together and make a song. The divisions of music that existed in previous generations doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, you turn on like Halsey, I don't even know what to class that as. For the longest time, she was alternative, and then now she's like oh, yeah. rapping with g Easy. Like, I I, I don't know what it is, and that's just a comment on the post-genre generation as a whole. In fact, they've done some studies, and they try to ask people, hey, what's your favorite artist? And no one can really do it. They have such a hard time gathering that information because everything's so blended together. You don't have that allegiance that used to exist. In the 80s, you ask someone, they're like, Def Leppard, the end, you know? That cannot happen anymore. Yeah, like, if somebody asks you, what's your favorite music, just to kind of get to know you, 
I don't ever have an answer because I don't know, like, what do I call this? Or I have to name artists or bands or things like that instead of naming genres because they're so wide and vague. Totally. They've become just one conglomeration of music, which I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing. But like you said, it's really hard to classify. You end up with these big, sweeping generalizations of what kind of music do you like? Oh, everything except country. That includes like elevator music and jazz and like maybe you don't actually like those things, but it's so hard to specify. There's so many types. They're so blended together. It's a mess. I've definitely got myself caught in that because I'll say like, I like everything but rap and then I'll hear a rap song that I like or somebody will show me this jazz song and I'm like, oh, just kidding. It's tough for sure. We live in an interesting time. For the most part, I don't feel disappointed about modern music. I think there's some pretty cool stuff out there. For sure. All right. Give me your quote-unquote musical history, as in what kind of music did you start off with? Your earliest type of music you listened to? I think probably country. I think I started out as a huge country fan, and probably just in spite of my sister because she hated it. So that's where I started out. That surprises me. Like, what kind of country? Just like what's on the radio. Okay. This is before Pandora and Spotify were really big. So it was just like waiting 10 minutes for my computer, my desktop computer to load YouTube so that I could listen to like old Taylor Swift. Okay. So I got out of country and I got really into folk, probably seventh and eighth grade, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I was like really all about folk. And then coming into freshman year, I got into pop punk, and then you kind of really led me in the directions of Mayday Parade and bands like that. And so I got into those, and then a friend showed me some more alternative styles of music, which I think I've pretty much been sharing on the podcast. So I think that's kind of what I'm into right now. Interesting. Yeah, the, uh, the transition from country to folk makes sense, but happening during your middle school years... I don't think many people go through that at that point. (laughs) There was like an acoustic thing too. So like John Mayer and The Fray and The Script and all those bands. See, like I don't know how to classify those. I guess they're acoustic. I don't know. Yeah, like singer-songwriter acoustic type of things. I get it. Yeah. So my music evolution started early My parents listened to a lot of music, so I grew up on, I guess you would call it classic rock and 80s rock and 80s pop, because that's obviously what my parents grew up with. Lots of Aerosmith and Kiss and Tom Petty and all these decent artists, and I still appreciate them today, but that's all I listened to. I was a little rocker back in elementary school. And then in middle school, uh, this kid next to me in class started showing me bands like Blink-182 and Autopilot Off and Rufio and some of this pop punk slash underground post-hardcore stuff. And I thought that was awesome. It rocked my world that there was other types of music out there. Like I knew rap existed. I knew country existed. I knew Christian music existed and rock existed. I had four boxes and all of a sudden there's this this new thing, this upbeat, savage, angsty. And that <laughs> led my metamorphosis. It didn't really leave that genre too much. Instead of going more pop punk though, it became more emo and more indie and as we talk about our artists um, I can peg those transition points and listen to that all the way up through high school and college and I would say my music taste from then on has just been broadly classified as alternative obviously have phases I listen to folk like you said quite a bit I can get on a huge rap kick post Malone 
that's again blending genres there, but I'll listen to Post Malone all of the time. And once in a blue moon, I'll find a country tune that uh, I'll enjoy. So it's it's all over the place. Jazz, I dig. Uh, but it really started from rock and stupid pop punk. <laughs> and here we are. What a journey. It is. Music is uh, an important part to becoming old. I love that when you can like listen to a song and then it takes you back to just when you were like getting into it and it brings back so many memories. I freaking love that about old music. Absolutely. The nostalgia of hearing a song from your past and it immediately takes you there. That's a cool thing. On that note, we have tasked each other for this podcast to come up with three artists that mean a lot to us or we really appreciate or we would deem our favorites, even though we just talked about how hard that was. Um, And we're just going to go back and forth. Okay, so my first one is 21 Pilots. How do you feel about that? I can respect that. I think, not to be all hipster, but I think 21 Pilots is like super overblown right now. But they make good music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that pick. They're a strong choice. Tell me about it. So I got into 21 Pilots my freshman year of high school. Um, This guy that I was super into um, showed me a Bare Naked Statues rendition of uh, Holding On To You. And I was like, wow, okay, I want to know everything there is to know about this band so that I can seem cool to the guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I like started listening to them a lot. And the more I actually listened to the music and the more it became about the music, they really started to get to me because like migraines lyrics helped me feel like I wasn't the only one going through what I was going through. And Lovely helped me like stay positive. And Goner was like the song I went to when I was feeling super down. And so they just became everything that I needed when I couldn't get it from somebody else. And so I, I turned to 21 Pilots when I was in need of something. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so where I'm at right now, it's even more than just a band that I like, because every time I hear the song, I get to think of a friend of mine that passed away. And so I get to remember all the things like wearing band merch on the same day so that we can match or talking about how we both really wanted to go to a concert or why I like one band member and she likes the other one. So I'm really just grateful that I have a band that can do that for me. And Fall Out Boy does the same thing. I'm really just glad that I have music that brings back positive memories of her oh yeah that makes perfect sense and that's respectable i can totally see that uh if you had to pick one i know this is hard but if you had to pick one 21 pilot song that everyone needs to hear which one would it be definitely lovely it gets me so like in such a good mood and like dancing and i would jam to that song every day all right cool i know they're like really popular now and everything after after heathens and everyone knows stressed out and so like i just encourage everyone to dig into their music there's so much better stuff that they produce you know what i mean absolutely who's your first band or artist all right my first band would have to be blink 182 and I'm holding on to this from high school, or even before that, from my, my adolescence. And I'm only saying this because they had a huge impact on me. Uh, I listen to hardly any Blink-182 at the moment. I still check them out. They're still around. They've replaced a couple members. Their music doesn't quite hit me the way it used to. But as a kid, as an angsty child, just hearing these dudes rock out about the weirdest, inappropriate things, that really spoke to me. <laughs> What's My Age Again and anything off of the album Enema of the State or Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Those things were so funny. All my friends loved it and we just rocked out to Blink constantly. So that's one of those things where, like you said, if I hear a song from early Blink, uh, that just takes me back into a fun time, a more stress-free time. It's cool, the nostalgia of that 
music. I appreciate that. And then when I was in eighth grade, they dropped a new album. Um, and it was the last one for a really long time. And it was untitled. And that went deep and heavy. And that 1000% transitioned me to a different type of music or made me more susceptible to another type of music. That was the album with Feeling This and I Miss You and Go and all of these great songs and that was such a departure from their toilet humor and I was right there with them as a 13 year old (laughs) that album I will still rock to that's definitely in my top five albums of all time it serves as that music that was there for me as an adolescent as well as my jumping off point to so much other important music always will be a fan of blink even if the stuff they release isn't as great i can still rock to it and it's to give them credit it's been an important band for literally every band that's still in the scene today uh like neck deep and man overboard and all those bands they cite blink 182 as an influence probably not everyone's favorite band but has done a lot for the genre Wow, yeah. I definitely would say, like, when I think of Gable, I think of Blink. Well, that's cool. I would approve of this. Also, if I had to give one track from Blink that everyone needs to check out, it is, in fact, Feeling This. If you've never listened to Blink-182, I don't know if that'd be the best one to start with, but that is by far, in my opinion, their best track. So check it out. Oh, really? You think that's their best track? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just interested. No, yeah, I definitely do. That is a jam. They have some other great ones, but that one, that's it. What do you think? Like, you listen to a lot of Blink as well. What do you think your favorite track of Blink is? I don't know. I think that, like, I would always go back to all the small things just because it's so, like, yes. You know what I mean? It's a fun song, no doubt. Or, like, the rock show or things that totally just get me pumped. All right, number two for you. What do you got? Ed Sheeran, my husband, the love of my life. He is such an integral part, and I know I already used that word, and so it's probably sounding repetitive, but I love his music and everything there is about what he's doing and... I just love this. He's a talented little guy. Okay, so this is another one of the hipster sounding things with the whole he's popular now. Like everyone knows thinking out loud and perfect. And that makes me so frustrated. The Shape of You or Castle on the Hill is on every single time you turn on the radio at least once on your car trip. I just wish that it wasn't so overplayed and that people immediately thought of those songs when they thought of Ed Sheeran because they're definitely not his best stuff. What do you think his best stuff is? I really like one of the earlier albums he put out, and it's the Plus, so it's the Orange album. It just has a lot more personal stuff on it, and it sounds a lot less poppy. I know exactly what you mean. That is a rather good album. Multiply got a little bit more poppy, and now Divide just sounds like more of the stuff that he used to write for other people. Shape of You, he wrote for someone else and then decided to sing it. I feel like Divide just isn't him. So you like a more raw Ed Sheeran? Oh, yeah. The stuff where he's like playing with his loop pedal and just singing and doing him. That's what I really like. I will say one of the best live performances I've seen out of any artist was Ed Sheeran. That dude is talented. Yeah, no kidding. The stuff that he can do with that loop pedal is insane. I agree. He almost compelled me to buy a loop pedal. It was that impressive. And I bashed on his Divide album, but it's really not that bad. Just people are picking the wrong songs to jam out to. Galway Girl and Nancy Mulligan, both poppin' songs. They're so different and interesting. And so I wish those would be the ones that would get popular. 
He writes some good stuff. And you noted that other point of how often he writes for other people. And while that may not be his best, most honest writing, it's still really good. He is a master of writing songs. He has written so many Billboard hits for One Direction and helped with T-Swift. And the Beebs. Yeah, he's a lyrical genius. You're up. All right, my number two band is definitely brand new. And if you know me whatsoever, you know that I have an affinity for this band. Actually, you may not know that. I do. um, (laughs) I decorate my classroom and all kinds of things with brand new stuff. I don't know if people make that connection or not, but I love this band. Dark, depressing, super gritty stuff, but man, that reaches me spot on. And that was another band that I discovered early enough that I kind of progressed with them. Their first album was really pop punk, so that hooked me. Moved on to an album called Dejan Tendu, which was more acoustic, deep, and made you think, and classes emo probably, but just really spoke to a teenager. And then in 2006, they released this album called The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me, which is my favorite album of all time. That got really dark at that point for that band. Uh, some really intense tracks. They were always talking about a struggle with religion, which is exactly what I was going through at that time. Some deep, deep stuff. And man, if you're feeling down, sad, happy, emo, stressed, you can put that album on. Amazing stuff. I appreciate their songwriting ability. Uh, It can be heavy in parts. It can be really laid back and acoustic in parts. They're just very diverse. And they have a rabid cult-like following, but I do not think that band has eked out into the mainstream whatsoever, which I appreciate, but I'm also kind of sad about because they have some good user-friendly tunes that no one will probably ever hear. I feel like I've heard a couple of their songs and I, I know enough about them to say that I like that, but I definitely haven't dug into it. So I'll have to check them out more. You should. Definitely start with Dejan Tendu. If you try to start with Devil and God or Daisy, uh, you'll be like, what is this? I need to go like hug my family. <laughs> it's emo. There's no other word for it. But uh, as, an emo, <laughs> as an emo kid, that was some good stuff. All right. My last artist is Ben Rector. And I got into him when I was getting kind of into like my Christian music, acoustic listening. And he's very different than the other two bands that I listed. So I first started listening to him probably sophomore year. And it was really just because I was getting down on myself and I needed something in my faith that would get me up. And so I listened to him. He doesn't necessarily always sing about like Christian topics, He's not a worship music singer, but he is a Christian man. I do know Ben Rector. I've covered some of his stuff. I had no idea he was Christian. Really? Really. Hmm. He talks about it in some of his songs. So currently, the song that absolutely will just pick me up off my feet and get me back into a better mood is brand new. And it the song actually makes me feel brand new. And I can just feel this rush of, of sunshine and positivity when I listen to it. Yeah, I could see that. That's a uplifting song. It's a good track. Yeah. He has some other stuff that has the same kind of vibe, like Dance With Me Baby. He also has some sad ones, like Moving Backwards and Note to Self, which it's not sad, but it makes you think. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. My last artist that I deem important enough to talk about on this podcast is a dude 
that goes by the name Bright Eyes, or as collective of people is known as Bright Eyes. Hardcore indie, and the reason I picked it is it got me into the more independent and folk type of music. I was in middle school, and my aunt, who's really big into music as well, made me this mix CD, and it had a bunch of this guy Bright Eyes on it, and I immediately took to it. It really influenced me as someone that attempts to write songs and puts his crappy music up on YouTube. Great songwriter, can tap into some imagery, sets a perfect scene in his music with metaphors and all kinds of stuff, and you listen to it, and you can just build this crazy picture of what he's trying to convey to you and he does it so efficiently and succinctly and that really impacted me. Some people think he has a terrible singing voice and that's what you'll get into with some indie stuff. You listen to it and you're like, man, if this guy could sing a little better, this would be phenomenal. (laughs) I don't think it's particularly bad, but I see that that probably is his limitation because I do think a lot of his music could be popular. But when you hear his voice, you're like, oh, what is this? But if you can see past that, great songwriter, very prolific. He's been going for many albums and they're all pretty good. There's some great stuff on them. That was another artist that was releasing things through my adolescence up through adulthood that I I just stuck with. Each album kind of grew with me. His younger stuff talked to a a teenage me and I could relate to that. Now as an adult, I listen to some of his things and he's there with me. He's singing about things that I understand at that age that I wouldn't have earlier. So very important to me, guided a lot of my future music choices. I was like, man, if I can listen to this stuff, maybe I should try to listen to oh, I don't know, the Lumineers, and that's a bad example, but um, just more down that path of maybe not pop punk and singing about how you hate your life. Yeah, hating your life and toilets and whatever Blink-182 is doing. It just pushed me to a more mature type of music, which obviously as I matured, that's probably what I needed, so I wasn't the 26-year-old at the One Direction concert. <laughs> You listen to any Bright Eyes ever? Yeah, I think so. Name a name a really popular song by them. First Day of My Life. That's the most popular one. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think they're good. I'll have to check more of them out, too. All right, my dude. We will wrap this episode up. It was nice talking to you about one of my favorite things, music. Yeah, I really liked this episode. And on that note, it's time for the song pick of the week. How fitting. What you got, kid? Okay, I don't know how to say the artist's name because it's confusing to me. But Jackie and Wilson by Hozier, or is it Hosier? I don't know how to say it. Hozier. Okay, so I said it right. I don't think it looks like that when you spell it out, though. Right. But I like that song. He's a an interesting artist. I appreciate his music as well. Obviously, Take Me to Church was his breakthrough, which is a great song. But yeah, he's got some other good stuff as well. I appreciate that choice. What do you got? Um, I'm actually going to use a song from an artist we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm going to go with Four Winds from Bright Eyes. That is a, if you're feeling folky, that's a jam. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Remember, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We've been going strong for 13 weeks. That is one-fourth of a year, and hopefully we can keep it rolling for you. Whoa, that was a long time. Have a good week, everyone. Peace out. We'll be seeing you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.